we're starting in the Word this morning with, with the title of the message is, It's Not Over. Look to the person next to you and say, It's Not Over. Look to the other person next to you and say, It's Not Over. Now, if you just had some, uh, if you're like boyfriend, girlfriend, just had some conflict and you broke up, but you're still sitting here this morning and they're sitting next to you and you just told them it's not over, just look back and say, no, it's still over, but, but the message, it's not over, right? And so just, just want to make sure there, man, just want to make sure. But, but we're so excited to be here with you this morning. And, and uh, as we jump into the word, I'm a longtime Texas Rangers fan. I love the Texas Rangers. I don't know why we are getting a new stadium. Although I do appreciate that they are taking us into consideration as they're putting air conditioning in it, right? Amen, right? Yes. So I'm so excited for that. But I grew up watching the Texas Rangers with my dad. I remember going to the old stadium. Man, back before they had the, the stadium we have now. And they would hit home runs and they would hit them so far. They'd be completely out of the stadium hitting cars. I remember sitting in the stadium. We'd be in the ble- Everything was bleachers. And you'd stomp on the bleachers. And this, this thunder would come about the whole stadium. I love the Texas Rangers. As they had the, the new stadium, we went from, from, from that old one to the ballpark in Arlington in 1995. I, I'll never forget being there for the first game that they had it open. I walked in and it was so beautiful. I was like, wow, this is awesome and incredible. And I've grown up taking my kids to games. I love going to baseball games with my kids. They get bored in like the third inning though, right? So I'm like, man, watching baseball with the kids is a little bit harder. So what happens is, is to keep them entertained, it gets expensive, right? Because they're sitting there and they're ready to go. And you're like, it's a good game. Daddy, I'm tired. It's hot. And I was like, can I have a hot dog? I'm like, all right, sure. I'll get you a hot dog, right? $12. And I was like, oh my gosh, you better eat all the hot dog. They take two bites. I'm full. And I was like, what are you talking about? You only ate like $3 of the $12 hot dog. Eat it, right? And, so, and then people behind you think you're a bad parent, you know? And so you've got all that stuff happening. And then they get bored again. It's like, I want some cotton candy. And he was like, all right, well, there goes another $7 of cotton candy. Then they're like, I want a lemon chill. It's like, that's it, we're going home, right? And so, nope, 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 you cross the threshold. But watching games with my dad, my dad is a huge Texas Rangers fan. And also, he's a Dallas Cowboys fan, bless his heart, right? And so, so I just watching games with him, the moment they start getting behind, he's, it's over, it's done, the game's lost, so turn it off. I'm like, what are you talking about, Dad? There's like four innings left, it's only like the bottom of the fifth, and he just scored one, one run on us, what are you talking about? But he gives up so fast, like, ah, it's over, it's done, and he calls it way before it's time. Well, growing up, kind of seeing that, you know, it, when the game starts to lull, or they start getting behind, you know, I'm like, you know what, it's over, it's done. It's 9 o'clock, I'm going to get home, get the kids in bed, let's just, let's just go back and do it. And so I usually try to leave, Myrna and I will say, you know what, we're going to leave in the 7th inning, if it's still kind of you know, crazy, we'll just, we'll just leave in the 7th inning. Well, earlier this year, we were at the ball game, and it was the same thing. If you know anything about me, I love the Rangers, but I hate the Astros so much, right? Like, oh, I'm sorry if there's any Astros fans, God bless your heart, I'm sorry, maybe you'll get delivered one day, but man... I, I, I just, and so they're playing the Astros, and I'm there at the game, and I'm loving it, and then all of a sudden, we start losing, and I'm like, I, I hate this, right? It's like, what's going on? And so as, as Myrna and I are there, we're, the game's in a lull, it's slowing down, and I just hear my dad start whispering in my ear, it's over, it's done, and I was like, Dad, you're right, probably. And I was like, shut up, Dad. You know, it's like, leave me alone, you know? I'm trying to watch the game with my wife. And so we do the whole thing. We, we, we get a hot dog, and then we get a lemon chill, and we're trying to prolong you know, the agony. Maybe we bring something good out of this. And so we finally say, you know what? In between the sixth and seventh inning, we're done. Let's go home. Let's go get the kids. It's getting hot. Let's just, let's just call it a night. 
So he said, okay, let's go. And it takes, you know, a, a little bit to get everything going and, and packed together. And then we start heading out. Well, as we head out, you know, the, the inning had changed and, and, and I, apparently the Rangers were batting. And as we're walking out of the stadium, all of a sudden what sounds like a bomb goes off behind us, boom, as the Rangers just hit a home run, tying the game. And I look at Myrna and I said, what are we doing? She's like, you wanted to leave. And I was like, I know, but it was over, right? And she's like, it's not over. There's four more innings left. I was like, leave me alone. It's over. We got home and watched the game. But a lot of times in our lives, we'll begin to look at how we're down in the cards. We'll begin to look at how we're behind from where we thought we would be. And we've had people walk behind us and say, I've been in this situation. I've walked that road. And guess what? It's over. But let me tell you something, man. Let me tell you something. With Jesus, it's never over. It's not over until he has a final say. Let me tell you something. So I don't know what you're walking through, where you've been. But this morning, Lord's saying, it's not over. Come, there's two things that I want you guys taking away this morning. Two major purposes that we're going to be talking about this morning. The first one is this, is right here. Is I want to speak faith into the barren places of your life. I want to speak faith into the barren places of your life. And barren, the definition of barren is bleak and lifeless. I want to speak faith into those spots and areas of your life that seem to be bleak and lifeless. And the second thing we want to do is we want to teach you how to, uh, what to do when you see no life on the vine. When you see no life on the vine. I want to teach you what to do when, when you see that. Man, I, I've been working my brains out. I've been doing my best, and it doesn't seem to be producing anything. I want to teach you what to do with that. Our key scripture for this morning is coming out of Psalms chapter 92, verse 12. It says this right here. It says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. You say, what in the world? The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. That's a weird visual. Yeah, because we don't really, you know, treasure or, or really like, like palm trees, right? We don't have them around this area. But, it, but it, in, the, in the biblical areas, palm trees are, are, are man, a godsend. Do you imagine as, you, as you're walking between cities back in, in biblical times, and they're so far away, and as you're walking through, you know, arid places where, where it's just a lot of shrubs and, and, and short bushes and trees that don't grow much taller than, 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 you know, six foot tall or whatever, to see a palm tree that, that has grown up, that, that is casting some shade, actually is a place where you can come and begin to rest at it. And he's saying, man, that that you'll begin to flourish in places that are dry and arid, that aren't necessarily, you you know, conducive for your growth. He says, in those, you'll be like a palm tree that flourishes in those areas. The righteous will be that. In situations where other people would have been down and out and there would have been no more for them, you'll flourish in those areas. In the circumstances that would have taken others out, let me tell you something, you'll flourish in those areas. In the relationships where no one else can get breakthrough, you will flourish in those areas. Our key passage is coming out of Luke chapter 7. And this is an interaction Jesus has as he's coming into this town. And we'll pick it up in verse 11. It says this right here. It says, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. So let's just kind of set the scene for us for a second. We know what's happening here. There's context to what's going on. 
We, we've got everything that we need to begin to build and, and to understand what's happening, what Jesus felt, how it smelled like, all of those things. As I read scripture, I hate to read it as it's one-dimensional. Come on, I, I, my favorite books growing up were pop-up books, right? As I opened a page, it came alive. I was like, absolutely, I see the house. There goes the mouse running. I love those books. And so when I do that, I read the scripture in that way. And so we know that Jesus is with his disciples, 12, Jesus 13, right? And a large crowd of people, right? So we're looking at maybe 150 people, right? They're going to a town called Nain. So Jesus is going to Nain, and he's got a purpose. There's a reason in which Jesus is going here, right? We also know that there's a second character happening in this story. And there's this, this lady that's walking out and a dead person, right? And so the, it calls her dead person, right? So we, we begin to figure out who our characters are. We got Jesus, a large crowd, the disciples. We know the destination is a town called Nain. We see Jesus approaching the town gate with a large group of people, and we see a large group of people in a funeral procession exiting the town. What's about to happen is a major biblical traffic jam, right? And so there's one gate, there's big crowds coming out of both of them, they got to figure this out. Could you imagine if you were in charge of Jesus' executive detail, right, security? You're, you're in it. All of a sudden, you're walking in. You've got it all settled. The gate's cleared, nice, safe, secure. All of a sudden, they got a breach, right? Here comes dead man and all of his people walking with him, right? You, you've got this situation. And, and the, the main thing that they would do is protect Jesus, get Jesus, get Jesus, get Jesus. And what happens is, is in verse 13, Jesus sees the woman. And it says that he had compassion on her. His heart went out to her, and he told her, don't cry. Jesus is walking, leading this. The dead man's walking, leading that. Come on, look at it. You got death and you've got life coming to a head right here. And Jesus begins to address the lady. And in verse 14, this is what happens. Then he went up and touched the coffin. And those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. In verse 15, the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. So Jesus, he, he, he stops the funeral procession. The dude in the casket, right? They, they, were gonna, they, they didn't have the lid on it yet. They were going to put that, in, in, when they got to the ground, they were going to bury him. They are going to put the lid on it, but they're carrying him out to the burial site. They had the little service. He talked about how Jimmy was a good guy, all of these different things. And what happens here now is the lady is the centerpiece of this drama. She's the centerpiece of the drama. It doesn't say when Jesus saw the coffin, his heart went out to her. It says when Jesus saw the woman, his heart went out to her. She was already a widow. She had lost her husband. We don't know when she did, but he's gone. She's got this son, her only son, and now he's gone. See, the significance in this is that, is that Jewish women were unable to operate any kind of business outside of the head of the husband. So as a man, he's got a business set up, whatever it may be, the woman's there able to operate underneath that covering. And if he were to leave, it goes to the next eldest son, and they can operate under that covering. Not only did she lose her husband, she, she then had her, her son in which she was able to do business under. Now she had just lost her son, and now this lady is going about to be a charity case. Many times what would happen is these women would turn, as a means of just survival, they'd turn to prostitution. Maybe she has some relatives that would take her in, but it, it, we don't know those things. But we do know that for this lady, it was over. It was over. Her son breathed his last breath. She put him in this, in this casket, this coffin, 
They were having the funeral ceremony. Everything was done. Flowers were ordered. The obituary was written. They put it out in the newspaper. All of these things. And they're about to put him in the ground. It's over for this lady. It is over for this lady. But Jesus. Jesus walking out. He has compassion on this lady. His heart goes out to her. His heart goes out to her knowing everything about this lady. man, Knowing that, that she's a widow. All of these things. He knows that his heart goes out to her. He tells her do not cry. Jesus reaches up in probably one, one of the, the most faux pas kind of things. Could you imagine you get invited to a funeral, right? You show up there, and you go lay hands on that body, and you're shaking him. Get up, right? It's just crazy. You, you don't do it. You're just like, man, what are you doing? Jesus walks up to this coffin. He puts his hands on it, and he tells him, get up. It doesn't say, get up. He don't whisper to him. It's got an exclamation point. They taught me one thing in high school, and that was punctuation, and it means something, Right? And so there's an exclamation point on that. He says, get up. And the dude sits up. He says, hey. And Jesus begins to talk to him. Hey, Jimmy, what you doing, man? Nothing, Jesus. Just hanging out. How about you get out of there? Jesus says, he gives him back to his mother. He gives him back to his mother. Hey, hey, come here, Jimmy. Dude, you stink a little bit. You go take a bath. God, you smell like death, bro. Come here. Hey, widow lady, come here. He puts them back together. They go on. Let me tell you something, this lady thought it was it. She thought it was over. She thought it was done. By any, by any stretch of the means, it was. It was. Had she not encountered Jesus, come on, this lady, this lady's life would have been changed forever. But she met Jesus, and it was changed forever. Come on, a lot of us face situations every day. Maybe you're wrapped up in something where you feel like it's over. Maybe you had a dream or a vision, and you feel like, it's over. Let me tell you something. With Jesus on the scene, it's never over. Come on, Jesus is not bound by the natural laws that we operate by. Jesus is in the supernatural, operating around all of those things. And it might look like it's over to us. The situation might be bleak. It might be, you might be dark. But let me tell you something. When Jesus enters the scene, there's no telling what he can do. And let me tell you something. Every time Jesus enters the scene, he always speaks life. Always. He always speaks life. He always breathes into that situation and something comes out of it. We get the second passage in Luke chapter 13. And it's this parable Jesus is telling. It's this parable Jesus is telling. And we'll pick it up in verse 6. So then the parable, then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree. He planted in his vineyard. And he went, he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So we said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree. I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should we use up its soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. And so Jesus is telling this, this parable of this, this vineyard owner who, who walks up to his vineyard, and for three years, he'd walk by the Charlie Brown tree of his vineyard. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? That little sad-looking tree? Right? Put the ornament on it, and it falls over. Right? He, he would walk by his vineyard, and he would see this sad tree. And maybe, maybe this man prided himself in his vineyard. i got the healthiest-looking vineyard in all of the land, man. Mine's the best. And every time he walked by it, that was just a sore reminder. Like, what is happening here? What, what's going on here? I don't understand why this one's not growing. He says, for years I've come by this thing. 
And finally, the vineyard owner brings a guy that he hires to, to take care of it. And he brings him and says, hey, bro, what's up with this tree? The guy's like, well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I, it's the tree, you know, I don't know. He says, for three years I've come, and I look for it. All my other trees, man, they do so great. I have the best grapes in all of Israel, man. My, and this thing right here, this does not speak of the brand. This does not show what we really are. Come on, you are better than this, dude. Come on, look at what you've done. Why this one? What's going on here? And he looks at the guy, and he tells him, he says, hey, sir, 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 sir. I know that, that, that this tree had at once produced something good, but I believe you can do it again. The guy's like, no, 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 cut it down. And he asks him, he pleads for him, he begs of him, please, for one more year, one more year, let me, let me clean up the soil around it. I'm going to pick all the weeds, the things that seem to be sucking life out of it. I'm going to get rid of all those things. I'm going to trim some of these, these dead branches that, that, aren't, that aren't good. I'm going to trim it up. I'm going to make it look a little bit nicer than what it is right now. And, and not only that, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to fertilize around it. I'm going to give this tree extra attention. Come on, I'm going to put a, a little bit extra water on it. Man, I'm going to put extra fertilizer on it. I'm going to make sure it has shade. When, when it's cold outside, I'm going to make sure it's wrapped up. When it's hot outside, I'm going to make sure it stays cool. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure this tree produces something. Give me one year, and if it doesn't produce anything, then cut it down. And the vineyard owner agrees. He says, all right, man, look, dude, I'll give you one year before I cut this thing down. See, what he was expecting, the vineyard owner, he was expecting this tree to produce like it did, like, like all the others did. And maybe at one point in time, this tree produced the best grapes of the vineyard. So he's got the best grapes, but this tree, oh my God, it was the best of the best. This tree was it. And he looks at it and he says, man, at one point in time, bro, I used to be so proud of you. At one point in time. God, tree, man, you, you, you were the best. You were the flagship. You were the one we started with. You, you, you were the, literally the brand. You were the logo on the, on the grapes that we sell. Man, at one time, you were it for me. But I don't know what happened to you. I don't know what's going on here. What, the dreams I had for you, when I planted you as a seed, and I put you down in the ground, Man, and when you would sprout up, man, how I cared for you, everything that as I watered you, come on, as I pruned you, you came out to be something amazing. And now when I look at you, I don't know what happened in between here, but I know you're still capable of what you did in the past. I know that what's in there, those nutrients, everything that I did are still in there. I know that one moment that you can do this, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take some extra time, and I'm going to get in there, and I'm going to do it. And that's what Jesus does with us. Come on. We fail him all the time. We disappoint him all the time. You may have had a dream or a vision that you live by something great you felt like you did from God, and all of a sudden you're not there anymore, and you feel like you're this tree. Well, if there's no fruit on me, then just cut it down. And the Lord's saying, hey, 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 look, dude, it's not over for you. I'm so thankful we serve the God of second, third, fourth, and fifth chances, and on and on and on. I'm so thankful that his mercies are renewed daily. I'm so thankful that he didn't see me at a spot in my life where I wasn't producing anything. And he said, just cut this thing down. It will never do anything. I'm so thankful that I had a small group leader who was like this, this tender of the vineyard that said, no, 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 no. There's some life in him. He's got these weeds I need to pluck away. He needs some trimming to do. But let me tell you something. One day, he's going to produce a harvest for you. And I'm so thankful that there's men and women in our lives that see that in us and this is a perfect example of the father's heart for us come on man we we may be in a spot where we're not producing right now and you know, we may be in a spot where we're covered up in weeds and we got branches and things that are growing on us that should never have been there and you look at it and you say i don't even know where to start i don't even know how but let me tell you something man, the vineyard owner had this guy that knew exactly what to do come on we need to get ourselves surrounded by people that say hey you know what dude 
It's all right, bro. I'm not intimidated by those weeds. Come on, bro. Let me tell you something. I see in you, bro. God's got something for you, man. It's not over yet, bro. It's not over yet, man. Come on, Lord's going to do something great in you, bro. Don't give up. Come on, man. Give me one year. I'm going to fertilize it, bro. I'm going to grow. Man, we're going to pray over you. Come on, we're going to read scripture over you. Come on, dude. We're going to get you in community. Come on, bro. And in one year, let me tell you something, bro. You're not even going to recognize what you used to be. And I wish the story continued. But I would imagine so as that guy came back, that vineyard owner came back. And he'd see that tree with a little bit of life on it. Come on, you see that tree? Look, look, dude, come on. You see, this, you see this one leaf? You see this one leaf? Compared to all the other trees, man, all the trees are, are blooming fruit. But you see this one leaf? Come on, they're celebrating the minimal success that that thing had. Come on, a lot of times what happens is we get down and we get out. And we say, man, I wish I was looking for this victory. But we neglect the small victories along the way. Come on, Lord, say, hey, it's not over yet. You need to, see, you need to look at your life and say, you know what? As you're speaking death over yourself, it's over, it's over, it's over. You need to begin to look at it and say, there's small victories in here, man. There's small things that are happening. I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. Come on. And we need to be saying that and looking for those things. Say, you know what? It's not over yet. It's not over yet. There's three things I want you guys writing down. On moving from barren to flourishing. From moving from bleak and lifeless to, come on, flourishing and producing. Three things I want you guys writing down. The first one is this right here. Is you have to activate your heart. You have to activate your heart. You have to begin to believe even when you don't see fruit. Jesus, when, when he saw that, that lady coming out of that, with that funeral procession, he saw her coming out. It just didn't say that Jesus had compassion. His heart went out for her, and that was it. Lord, lady, bless you. Man, it's going to be good. Let me tell you something, man. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I promise you, you'll make it through. It'll be good for you. He didn't do that. Man, his compassion, there was action that followed compassion, right? Come on. There was action that went in after that. Come on. If we're going to do these things, we're going to begin to move from from barren to flourishing, then there's got to be some action on our part. We got to begin to activate our hearts. Pastor Adam would, would, would call me over. He called me over one day. He said, hey, bro, can you bring your work boots and your work gloves? And if you got a chainsaw, bring it. I was like, what the heck are we doing? I was like, what's happening here? And he says, uh, you know that tree in my front yard? And I was like, yeah. He's like, it's dead. I was like, all right. He said, will you help me chop it down? I said, sure, I'll help you chop it down. So I show up, and, and I'm, I'm ready to work. Sure enough, it's dead. You know, it's like halfway out there. You know, he had already trimmed some trees. And he just needed the, the last bit of help getting rid of the stump. And I was like, all right, Pierre, come help you. And so we show up, and, uh, and I'm, I'm getting, you know, my stuff ready. I was like, all right, let's go. He's like, hold on one second. Miss Jamie came outside, and they started talking, and, uh, and I'm waiting. I'm like, all right, come on, dude, let's chop the tree down. And uh, he comes back and says, hey, well, I'm not going to chop it down anymore. I was like, what are you talking about? We're not going to chop it down. It's a stump, P.A. It's like a waist-high stump. He's like, well, Miss Jamie, Miss Jamie thinks that it'll come back. He's like, P.A., it's dead. It is dead, Pastor Adam. He's like, I know it's dead. But Miss Jamie doesn't think it's dead. And I was like, it's, Pastor Adam, it's dead. Look, shaking it, bark's falling off of it. I was like, it's dead, Pastor Adam. And he's like, no. I was like, I got my chainsaw. Let's do it. Let's just chop it down right now. Come on, we're here. You go inside. I'll do it. And you can blame it on me. I didn't know, you know. And he's like, no, Miss Jamie says, leave it, leave it, leave it. I was like, all right. So, so I knew that this was kind of like a little, a little sore thing between them. So I'd call him, and I would say, well, Pastor Adam, I'm here at your house. Do you want me to park in front of the stump? And he was like, oh, stop it, man. And I was like, oh, Pastor Adam, I'm going to swing by your house. Do you want me to water your stump? You know, I was like, stop it, man. You know what I'm saying? I was like, hey, Pastor Adam, I went and typed your dog to the stump, right? And so I would always mention the stump every time I went over. Hey, the stump's looking good. Come on, it looks great. Yeah, you know? And so I would always mention the stump. And it, it was just kind of a, a sore thing between us and him and Miss Jamie. It's a, he's like, I know, I want to get rid of it. It's not going to do anything, you know? And so, and so just a few months ago, I get a phone call from him. And he says, hey, 
what's J-Moff doing? I was like, I don't, I don't know what Jonathan's doing. He, he's recording some videos. He's like, can you send him over? We want to film the stump. And I was like, oh, we're going to chop it down. Yes, finally, right? So I tell J-Moff, I said, man, get your stuff together. Head out. Go, go film Pastor Adam at the stump. And he gets out there. He comes back. And I was like, how did it go? He's like, it went good. And, and uh, I was like, all right. You know, he's like, I'll let you see the footage when we get done. I said, okay, cool, perfect. Well, what happened next, I don't even like, I was jaw dropped like, what? But no one tells it better than Pastor Adam. And so you're about to be there that afternoon as Jonathan rolled up to the house and there's Pastor Adam standing by his treasured and prized stump. Let's show him that video real quick. Years ago when we bought our house, my wife planted a peach tree right in the middle of the side of our yard. And uh, all the neighbors could see it, it right in the middle of the yard. And I'm ha- having to cut around it. It never, I mean, the first couple of years, it didn't produce any fruit. And I was like, baby, what are we doing? She's like, oh, we're going to have peaches one day. And, uh, it, and she was right. About three or four years into it, it started having some little peaches. And the second year, it had more peaches. And about three or four years into this peach tree's life, it produced a bumper crop. I mean, we had hundreds of peaches. The, the limbs had gotten huge. The tree was gorgeous and big and huge. And it took up just about our whole side of our yard. And uh, I think that one year we must have had, I bet we had 300 peaches. We gave them away to the neighbors. It was awesome. So I was so excited, right? The next year we're going to have even more. Well, I don't know what happened. I don't know if the bugs got into it. I don't know if the, the winter was too harsh, but it killed that tree. That tree died. And, um, and so we came back the next year. It didn't even, the limbs were all, you know, coming out of the winter. The leaves didn't come back. The limbs were all dead. And my wife said, we need to cut that back. I'm like, no, we need to tear it down. We just get rid of it and go get a new peach tree. It'll take a couple years. She goes, no, there's still life in that thing. I'm like, no, it's not. Look, it's dead. The bark's all falling off. Over the next year, it was just a dead stump in the middle of my yard. I'd have to cut around it. All the neighbors are like, why do you have this giant stump in the middle of your, your yard? And then this last year, all of a sudden, just off the side of that stump, you shot out this limb. And then by springtime, leaves were on that limb. And then here we stand today, and you won't believe it, but it's actually got some fruit on this tree. Beautiful peaches. Not a lot. Not as many as it had in the past, but it spoke to me. I think about the things in my life that I feel like have died, the visions, the dreams. I, I think about the times where I felt like I was more productive than I am now. Um, and it just gave me hope. You know what? I might not be as strong as I used to be, Um, I might not be as productive as I once was, but there's life inside of me. There's life inside of you. And what is dead is not really dead. What has been chopped off doesn't mean it's the end. God has a plan to always bring fruit from our lives. Learn from the peach tree. There's life inside of you. I think what hurt hurt most in that moment for Pastor Adam was that Ms. Jamie was right. And so I was like... (laughs) I think that's what, that's what kind of hurt the most. But this is what it says right here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Come on, as we begin to activate our hearts, well, it might not be what we wanted it to be. It might not be what it was in the past. But, man, we will never, ever get what God's got for us if we keep holding on to what was in the past. We'll never be able to strive for what's, going, what's coming in the future if we keep holding on to what used to be. Well, it doesn't, it's not what, it, it, it doesn't look like it used to look. Man, but before I used to, man, I, I was running the company. Well, well, now you're not doing that. Man, technology, you, you couldn't figure out how to send an email. But let me tell you something. The basis of what you do can still be transferred to the next one leading. 
You're not valuable in what you used to, in, in what you did. You're valuable in what you know. And a lot of times people have a hard time transitioning from that. They'll say, well, I still want to be like I used to. I still want to do like what I used to. Well, what you used to, it's moved on, it's transitioned, and it's passed. Not that you're not useful anymore. You are. How about we take the younger people who are rising up and we're going to say, young man, let me tell you something. I know what it's like to have your business failing. I know what it's like to be looking at the books and see negative all the time. I know what it's like stick in there, hanging out. Have you done this? Have you done that? Never forget this. Never forget that. Have somebody invest in you. Someone to look you in the eye and say, I've walked it. I've been there. Don't quit. Don't give up. But a lot of times we want to hang on to what used to be. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says he's forgetting what is behind and stretching towards what is ahead. He's leaving the accolades and things he's accomplished behind. He says, you know what? That was for that season. This is for this season. You got to understand that there are seasons that you plan in. Come on, if you try to harvest in the wintertime when everything's dead, you're going to be so discouraged. Come on, but then, then all of a sudden you see somebody else on the different side of the world who's in a springtime, and it's their harvest season, and you look at it and you say, oh my gosh, I wish I was in that season. It's not your time yet. Come on, for, for, for my six-year-old to be, to be angry at my nine-year-old that she gets to go do things with her friends, it's not your time yet, Bubba. It's not your time yet. Not yet, man. Not yet. Let me tell you something. I believe each and every one of you will reap a harvest. I believe, but I also know that there are seasons in life, and everybody's in transition, and we're all in change. You might be someone else's in harvest season, and you might be in the fall where the leaves are falling off, and it looks gloomy, and you're like, oh, my gosh. And all of a sudden, winter blows, and you're like, my life's going to end, but guess what's after winter? There's a spring. Come on, some. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't quit. It's not over yet. Second thing is this right here. You got to activate your mouth. You got to activate your mouth. You got to brand it for what it's going to be, not for what it is. Come on, you got to begin to speak what it's going to be, not what it currently is. My dad used to always tell me, <clears throat> we'd be working, it'd be hot outside, and he would say, all right, you can complain for 60 seconds. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, tell me it's bad. Tell me you don't like me. All these things. It's so hot. I don't want to be here. It's the worst. You're a terrible dad. 60 seconds up. Suck it up. Let's go. And I'm like, all right. Because guess what? Your attitude, you, you got to shift your attitude. Because when I begin to speak that, guess what? It, w- it would be begin to come that. When I complain, it doesn't change anything. It just makes my attitude get worse, right? And so I, I, I dislike it more. All right, and so, so what he's saying is, is you got to begin to activate your mouth. you got to begin to speak what it's going to be, not what it currently is. In Proverbs, it says this in t- Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. It says, reckless words pierce like a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. It says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I had a spiritual son that moved away about two years ago now. And he went back home. He, he came here to school, and, and he went back home, and he got a job doing uh, uh, the work of his field, in which he studied for. So excited. He's like, man, Pastor John, I got a job in, in my area of study. I'm so excited. In this economy, man, many people aren't getting jobs like this. So he shows up, he's all excited, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, all of that. He gets there, and, and, and he's there for a few months, and I call him and say, hey, bro, how you doing, man? He's like, it's good, Pastor Jonathan, it's good. It's good, it's great, I love it, it's awesome. I was like, okay, cool. About a month later, he calls me back, he's like, hey, Pastor John, will you pray for me? He said, yeah, he's like, people are leaving the company like crazy. I was like, okay, awesome, I'll pray for you. Maybe you get a promotion in it. He's like, all right. He calls me about a, a week or two later, says, Pastor Jonathan, those people that left, they didn't rehire them. I'm doing their work. And I was like, Okay, do you know how to do that? He says, no. He called me back a few months later. Man, back and forth, back and forth. He's like, Pastor John, this is the worst. He says, I'm going through depression. My boss hates me. This is, this is the absolute worst. People have left. 
I'm the only one that stayed. That we're, we're actually taking pay cuts. Pastor John, it's not the worst. This is the worst. This is not what I thought it was going to be. He's, I'm so discouraged. I'm about to get married. They told me when I got hired on that my pay would increase when I got married, that they had pay increases when you had kids, all these things. I went and talked to them and said, hey, man, my, my wedding's in, in two months. What, is there any paperwork we need to do? What do we need to do to make sure that when I get married, that as you guys said, that there would be an increase in pay? They said, we never said that. That's not a policy we have. He's like, what are you talking about? The business owner was a family friend of theirs, and it was creating all sorts of tor- turmoil with him. In and out of depression, he'd call me. He says, Pastor John, I don't know what to do, man. I don't know what to do. And I would tell him, say, hey, bro, look, man, let me tell you something. This is not your final destination. God's got more for you, bro. He'd be like, what? I said, dude, this is not your final destination, man. God's got more for you, dude. There's more in you than this right here. Learn what you need to learn, man. Do what you need to do. Serve him faithfully, but this isn't your final destination. God's got more. Back on the phone, back and forth on the phone, back and forth on the phone. He gets married. He's got to work a second job to support him and his wife. He, he's calling me. He's so depressed. He's like, bro, I don't know what to do. And he would send me text messages, bro. It's so bad, but let me tell you something. I'm hanging on to the word that you said. It's not, this isn't my final destination. God's got more. He would hang on to that. Three months, three months ago, I got a phone call. It's five months now, six months now. I got a phone call. And he said, hey, w- would you give a reference for so-and-so? And I said, well, absolutely. So I, I'm on the phone with these people, giving them a reference, and I'm texting them. I'm like, hey, bro, what the heck are you doing? You didn't even tell me that you put me down as a reference. He said, yeah, 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 talk to him and, and tell him I'm good. I was like, okay, cool, whatever, right? <clears throat> you, never, you never put anybody down for a bad reference. I'm going to put this guy down. He really hates my guts. He'll tell you everything that you don't want to know about me, right? So he puts me down. I say, tell him, tell him good stuff about me. I was like, all right. Well, he started asking me, how was he in this area? And it was the area that, that, that I knew he didn't go to school for. I knew, I knew he didn't go to school for this. But I knew that part of his frustration at his job was they were forcing him to do this. It was part of what he had to do. And so I talked to him about it, and, and just, just in conversation, how's it going learning the new product? How's it going learning the new system? He's like, you know, it's hard, but I'm getting the hang of it. I'm getting the hang of it. And so what happened was is the new company didn't want him for what he went to school for. The new company wanted him for what he learned in the place that he wasn't growing, in the place that he thought was it. Let me tell you something. He was in fall, and he was in his winter, but there was a spring that was coming. Come on, let me tell you something. As I would sit there and I'd speak life over him, and I'd say, hey, bro, look, man, it, it, let me tell you, this is not your final destination, bro. God's got more for you. He would call me and say, he said, Pastor John, when he got the job, dude, I'm so glad you spoke that over me, that that wasn't my final destination, that that wasn't all God had for me, that he's got more. Let me tell you something. He's thriving right now. He's in a spot where he's making more money than he ever had. He's got insurance for him and his wife. It's a great place, but let me tell you something. It wasn't for what he went to school for. It's what he learned in the season of dormant, in the season of non-growing. It was what he learned in that season that he's now flourishing in. Let me tell you something. We have to begin to brand it what it's going to be, not what it currently is. Come on, we know what it is. Everybody else around you knows what it is, but it takes someone special to begin to see what it will be. It takes someone special to say, hey, you know what, bro? I know it seems over right now, but it gets better. It gets better. It can't get any worse. You ever heard that before? It can't get any worse. I've uttered that sometimes like, oh, Lord, I pray it can't get any worse. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't know if that's true or not, but maybe it can't. Just in case, never mind. I'm going to negate that I said that. This is as bad as I want it to be, right? And so I just begin to change that. But you got to begin to brand it for what it's going to be, not what it currently is. And the third thing is this right here. You have to activate your actions. You have to do your part and let Jesus do his part. You have to activate your actions. There's things that got to go into what you're doing. There's, there's some movement that has to happen in what you're doing. In Luke chapter 13, as we read the, the parable of the vineyard worker, and he talks to him, he tells the guy, hey, man, look, give me one more year. 
sir, just one more year. One more year. I'm going to fertilize it. I'm going to clean it up, and it'll go. He put action behind the result he wanted to see. He put action behind where I'm going, what I'm chasing after. He put action behind that. Come on, we, we got to let God will do his part. God will definitely do his part, but we have to do ours. When we were planning church on the hill, there was a small team of us, and, and, and Pastor Adam, I was the first one to come on, on staff full-time, and you say, oh, that's awesome. It wasn't, it was hard, right? And so Pastor Adam was, was Pastor Adam, and I was Pastor Jonathan, youth pastor. I was maintenance man. I was chief of marketing. I was, you know, I was everything else. Everything that happened, I was it, man. Some days I was, I was chauffeur. Some days I was this. Some days I was that. And it was tough, but every morning, Pastor Adam would say, hey, man, let's get together at the office. We're going to pray for the people. And I said, okay, who are we praying for? He says, the people. And I was like, well, who are the people? And you are the people. You are the people that we prayed for. You didn't exist yet. We didn't know who you were, but we knew God was bringing you. We had a vision that God would, would take church on the hill, that church on the hill would flourish. It'd be a place where, where, where multiracial, multicultural, multigenerational would come together under one banner, and that is the banner of Jesus Christ. We knew that we'd be a new wine for a new wineskin. Come on, we knew all of these things, and we had this vision. But when you begin to look at it and you open the door, it wasn't there. It wasn't there. We knew Jesus was doing his part, so we said we got to do our part. So we'd get together and we'd pray and say, who are we praying for? The people. And sometimes praying for the people was easy, and sometimes praying for the people was hard because there was no people. We'd go, we'd go look at buildings, and, and we looked at 23 buildings before we landed here. We looked at buildings that weren't even for sale yet. We would be walking around people's buildings and be like, what are y'all doing? And the owners come out and say, what are y'all doing walking around my building? We're praying for you. Well, what are you praying for? Did you go bankrupt or did you sell the building? That's what we're praying for. We want you building, you know? And so 23 places we looked at, 23 places that we looked at. Come on, met on Sunday nights faithfully at the Methodist Church. Come on, we did our best. We did our best. We said, you know what, God, we're going to be good stewards of the vision you've given us. And then we got this building. And then the people that we prayed for began to come. But in the meantime, while we were waiting, we didn't stop making leaders. We didn't stop making disciples. We didn't stop loving our community. We kept going after it. We kept doing our part. And Jesus kept doing his part until finally our past began to collide. We got this building. Guess what? The people showed up. The people that we had prayed for, leaders that we had needed, they began to show up. And guess what? Not only are we flourishing now, but now we've got a second campus. And so we're building the leaders. We're serving our community. We're doing that just in a different spot. And guess what? The Lord's not done yet. Man, church in the hill is flourishing, growing, thriving. Come on. You're a part of a moving, shaking church. Come on. We're going after Jesus with all our hearts. But guess what? Man, at the beginning, it was hard. It, man, we looked at it and said, it's over. <laughs> it's so over. There were some times when Pastor Adam got, got, when he said, hey, bro, look, we can, we can bring you on uh, full time for one year. He says, and if at the end of the year it doesn't work out, we got to go back to our jobs. I was in a place where I had a career and I was doing pretty good. And I was like, man, look, to take a break from your career for a year and then to go back, like people look at you like you're crazy. So I said, Lord Jesus, this has to work. We came to November and, uh, and it was like, this ain't working. I was like, what's going on? I got, so I started brushing up my resume. I was like, uh, I don't know what to put for this year of blankness, but uh, I did maintenance work. I did everything else. You know, so I, I guess that looks good on a, on a professional resume. But it was in November when, we, when this, we got the phone call that this building was coming available. Let me tell you something. In the 11th hour, right? Come on, it happened. But I don't know what dreams and visions you have. I don't know what the Lord's whispered into your ear. I don't know if you felt like you're shelved. Maybe it's not even a dream or a vision. Maybe it's just a relationship. It's a marriage. You've got kids that won't serve Jesus. You've, you've got a boss that just seems to hate you. You've got a marriage that it takes everything in your power just to be in the same room together. Let me tell you something. 
It's not over. It's not over. Come on, as you begin to put Jesus in the midst of that thing, and you begin to, to activate your heart and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin to brand it. I'm going to begin to live it out, man, by faith for the fruit that I can't see yet. I'm going to activate my heart on that. You know, I'm going to believe for it. Then you begin to speak life into that thing. You know what? Let me tell you something. Our marriage isn't what it, what it needs to be. Man, it's going to be amazing. And you say, you're the best husband I could have ever married. And he looks at you like you're crazy, right? You look at her and say, you're the best wife I could ever marry. And she looks at you like you're crazy. It doesn't matter. I mean, you're speaking life over that thing. And then when you begin to put actions behind that, oh, my gosh, man. As you begin to do that, as that lady, I could picture the sorrow in her heart as her son is being carried out in the coffin, as they're leaving the city gates, going out to the place where they're going to bury him. Maybe if something was going to happen, it would have happened in the city. Maybe a business owner would have seen her and said, you know what, hey, here, here's, here's six months to live on. Here you go, I know you just lost your son. Here's this, here's that. She's out of the gates of the city. There's nothing left for her. It's over. And she encounters Jesus and changes it all. This morning, Jesus wants to encounter you. Jesus, as you're walking with death, Jesus is walking with life. And when those two things collide, life always prevails. If you would stand across the sanctuary with us this morning. Close your eyes and bow your heads with us all across the sanctuary. This morning we talked about how it's not over. That lady walking out, man, it was over for her. But Jesus, I don't know where you're at in your relationship with him. I don't know where you're at, the spot in your life where you feel like it's over. You feel like there's no hope. And there hadn't been anything there for a long time. Let me tell you something. Jesus, this morning, he wants to breathe life into that thing. He wants to restore the relationships. Come on, he wants to see it mended. He wants to see you walking in the freedom that he paid for. This morning, as you're sitting there with your eye closed and your head bowed, first step of that, in ensuring that it's not over for you yet, is being in a right relationship with Jesus. So what does that mean? Being in a right relationship with Jesus means that, man, that you have made him the Lord and Savior of your life, and you're doing your best to be in relationship with him every day. You say, well, Pastor John, I, I've been in relationship with him in the past, but I feel like we're, we're more separated now than we've ever been, and I just need to come back. Or maybe you're in a spot where you've never ever made that relational connection with him and you want to do that this morning I believe as Jesus knocked on that coffin and he told that boy to get up I believe that this morning the Lord's been knocking on hearts he's been knocking on hearts saying son daughter get up son daughter get up come on man respond to me come on man I sent you here respond to me get up out of that come down here and be with me so I'm going to give you an opportunity right where you're at if you want to either come back to Jesus or start a relationship with him for the first time this morning I want to ask you a question I want to ask you this 
be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. And just be honest with me. And you say, that's me, Pastor Jonathan. I want to start a relationship with Jesus, or I want to come back to him this morning. If that's you in here this morning, just slip your hand up for me real quick, just so I know who I'm praying with this morning. You say, that's me, Pastor Jonathan. Please pray for me. I see your hand. Anybody else this morning? Say, I see your hand. Anybody else? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. I see your hands. You can put them down. I'll give you five more seconds. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. We had a number of hands go up this morning. Come on, in Romans chapter 8, it says real clear on what it means to, to begin to start that relationship. It says, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that he is the son of the living God, then you shall be saved. If you raise your hand this morning, you've already done 50% of that as you believed in your heart. Now I'm going to give you the opportunity to do the the rest of that. With everybody in the sanctuary, we're going to pray this prayer together. If you raised your hand this morning, I want want you to pray it with all that you got. There's nothing special about the words or how you formulate it. All that matters is if you really mean it. So if you lifted your head, and even if you were scared to, but you know you should have, then I want you to pray this prayer after me. So everybody across the sanctuary, let's say this. Say, Jesus, this morning, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I pray right now that you wash me clean. I confess of all my sins, and I pray that right now you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. And I promise to do my best to live for you. In Jesus' name. Just keep your head bowed for just a moment. Jesus, we love you, Father. God, thank you for every person, Lord Jesus, this morning who accepted you either for the first time or they came back to you, Lord Jesus. I pray, Father, God, that they would feel your loving embrace right now, Father God. Lord, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for every single one of us, Lord who thinks it may be over, Lord Jesus, that you're whispering in our ear, it's not over yet. It's not over, man. That dream that you had, it's not over. Father God, I pray that we'd feel your encouragement, Lord Jesus, your life breath in us, Lord Jesus. Lord, as we've learned, Father God, about activating our hearts and activating our mouths, Father God, and following all of that up by action, Lord Jesus. And Father God, although we might not see anything growing on the vine just yet, that you were working on our behalf in the background, Father God. We love you, Jesus, Lord. We are resting on your promise, Father God, that you were for us and not against us, Lord Jesus. We love you so much, Father God. We pray all of these things in your holy and your precious name. Amen.